Chapter Fourteen of Lonesome Land by B. M. Bower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fourteen, A Wedding Present. Sunday it was, and Val had insisted stubbornly upon going back to the ranch. Somewhat to her surprise, if one might judge by her face, Arline Holly no longer demurred, but put up lunch enough for a week almost and announced that she was going along. Hank would have to drive out to bring back the team, and she said she needed a rest, after all the work and worry of that dance. Manley, upon whose account it was that Val was so anxious, seemed to have nothing whatever to say about it. He was sullenly acquiescent, as was perhaps to be expected of a man who had slipped into his old habits and despised himself for doing so, and almost hated his wife because she had discovered it and said nothing. Val was thankful during that long, bleak ride over the prairie for Arline's incessant chatter. It was better than silence when the silence means bitter thoughts. "'Now,' said Arline, moving excitedly in her seat when they neared Cold Spring Coulee, "'maybe I better tell you that the folks round here has kind of planned a little surprise for you.' They don't make much of a showin' about being neighborly, not when things go smooth, but they're right there when trouble comes. It's just a little weddin' present, and if it comes kind of late in the day, why, you don't want to mind that. My dance that I gave was a weddin' party, too, if you care to call it that. Anyway, it was to raise the money to pay for our present, as far as it went. And I want to tell you right now, Val, that you was sure the queen of the ball. Everybody said you looked just like a queen in a picture, and I never heard a word against your low-necked dress. It looked all right on you, don't you see? On me, for instance, it would have been something fierce. And I'm real glad you took a hold and danced like you did, and never passed nobody up, like some would have done. You'll be glad you did. Now you know what it was for. Even danced with Polycarp Jenks, and there ain't hardly any woman but that'll turn him down. I'll bet he tromped all over your toes, didn't he? Sometimes, Val admitted. What about the surprise you were speaking of, Mrs. Hawley? It does seem as if you might call me Arline, she complained irreverently. We're coming to that, don't you worry. Is it a piano? My lands, no. You don't need a fiddle and a piano both, do you? Man, what did you rather have for a wedding present? Manley, upon the front seat beside Hank, gave his shoulders an impatient twitch. Fifty thousand dollars, he replied glumly. I'm glad you're real modest about it, Arline retorted sharply. She was beginning to tell herself quite frequently that she didn't have no time for Man Fleetwood, seeing he wouldn't brace up and quit drinking. Val's lips curled as she looked at Manley's back. "'What I should like,' she said distinctly, "'is a great big pile of wood, all cut and ready for the stove, and water pails that never would go empty.' It's astonishing how one's desires eventually narrow down to bare essentials, isn't it? But as we near the place, 
I find those two things more desirable than a piano. Then she bit her lip angrily, because she had permitted herself to give the thrust. "'Why, you poor thing! Man Fleetwood, do you—' Val impulsively caught her by the arm. "'Oh, hush! I was only joking,' she said hastily. "'I was trying to balance Manley's wish for fifty thousand dollars, don't you see?' It was stupid of me, I know. She laughed unconvincingly. Let me guess what the surprise is. First, is it large or small? Kinda big, tittered Arline, falling into the spirit of the joke. Bigger than a, wait now, a sewing machine? Arline covered her mouth with her hand and nodded dumbly. You say all the neighbors gave it, and the dance helped pay for it. Let me see. Could it possibly be... What in the world could it be? Manley, help me guess. Is it something useful, or just something nice? Useful, said Arline, and snapped her jaws together, as if she feared to let another word loose. Larger than a sewing machine, and useful val puckered her brows over the puzzle and all the neighbors gave it do you know i've been thinking all sorts of nasty things about our poor neighbors because they refused to sell manly any hay and all the while they were planning this sir she never finished that sentence or the word even with a jolt over a rock and a sharp turn to the right hank had brought them to the very brow of the hill where they could look down into the coulee and upon the house standing in its tiny unkempt yard just beyond the sparse growth of bushes which marked the spring creek involuntarily every head turned that way and every pair of eyes looked downward hank chirped to the horses threw all his weight upon the brake and they rattled down the grade the brake block squealing against the rear wheels they were halfway down before anyone spoke. It was Val, and she almost whispered one word. Manly! Arline's eyes were wet, and there was a croak in her voice when she cried jubilantly, Well, ain't that better than a sewing machine or a piano? But Val did not attempt an answer. She was staring, staring as if she could not convince herself of the reality. Even Manley was jarred out of his gloomy meditations, and half rose in the seat that he might see over Hank's shoulder. "'That's what your neighbors have done,' Arline began eagerly. "'And they nearly busted trying to get through in time, and to keep it a dead secret. They worked like whiteheads, let me tell you, and never even stopped for the storm. The night of the dance I heard all about how they had to hurry.' and I guess Kent's there and got a fire started, like I told him to. I was afraid it might be colder than what it is. I asked him if he wouldn't ride over and warm up the house today, and I see there's a smoke all right. She looked at Manley and then turned to Val. Well, ain't you going to say anything? You dumb, both of you? Val took a deep breath. We should be dumb she said contritely. We should go down on our knees and beg their pardon and yours, I especially. 
I think I've never in my life felt quite so humbled, so overwhelmed with the goodness of my fellows, and my own unworthiness. I, I can't put it into words, all the resentment I have felt against the country and the people in it, as if, oh, tell them all how I want them to forgive me for, for the way I have felt, and Arline. There, now, I didn't bargain for you to make it so serious, Arline expostulated, herself near to crying. It ain't nothing much. Us folks believe in helpin' when help's needed, that's all. For heaven's sake, don't go and cry about it. Hank pulled up at the gate with a loud whoa and a grip of the brake. From the kitchen stovepipe, a blue ribbon of smoke waved high in the clean air. Kent appeared, grinning amiably, in the doorway. But Val was looking beyond, and scarcely saw him. Beyond, where stood a new stable upon the ashes of the old. A new corral, the posts standing solidly in the holes dug for those burned away. A new haystack, when hay was almost priceless. A few chickens wandered about near the stable, and Val recognized them as Arline's prized Plymouth Rocks. Small wonder that she and Manley were stunned to silence. Manley still looked as if someone had dealt him an unexpected blow in the face. Val was white and wide-eyed. Together they walked out to the stable. When they stopped, she put her hand timidly upon his arm. "'Dear,' she said softly, there is only one way to thank them for this, and that is to be the very best it is in us to be. We will, won't we? We, we haven't been our best, but we'll start in right now. Shall we, Manley? Manley looked down at her for a moment, saying nothing. Shall we, Manley? Let us start now and try again. Let's play the fire burned up our old selves and we're all new and strong, shall we? And we won't feel any resentment for what is past, but we'll work together and think together and talk together without any hidden thing we can't discuss freely. Please, Manley? He knew what she meant well enough. For the last two days he had been drinking again. On the night of the dance he had barely kept within the limit of decent behavior. He had read Val's complete understanding and her disgust the morning after, and since then they had barely spoken except when speech was necessary. Oh, he knew what she meant. He stood for another minute, and she let go his arm and stood apart, watching his face. A good deal depended upon the next minute, and they both knew it and hardly breathed. His hand went slowly into a deep pocket of his overcoat, his fingers closed over something, and drew it reluctantly to the light. Shamefaced, he held it up for her to see. A flat bottle of generous size, full to within an inch of the cork with a pale yellow liquid. "'There, take it, and break it into a million pieces,' he said huskily. "'I'll try again.' Her yellow-brown eyes darkened perceptibly. "'Manley Fleetwood, you must throw it away. This is your fight. Be a man and fight.' 
Well, there. May God damn me forever if I touch liquor again. I'm through with the stuff for keeps. He held the bottle high, without looking at it, and sent it crashing against the stable door. Manly! She stopped her ears, aghast at his words, but for all that her eyes were ashine. She went up to him and put her arms around him. "'Now we can start all over again,' she said. "'We'll count our lives from this minute, dear, and we'll keep them clean and happy. Oh, I'm so glad, so glad and so proud, dear.' Kent had got halfway down the path from the house. He stopped when Manley threw the bottle and waited. Now he turned abruptly and retraced his steps, and he did not look particularly happy, though he had been smiling when he left the kitchen. Arline turned from the window as he entered. "'Looks like man has swore off again,' he observed dryly. "'Well, let's hope and pray he stays swore off.'" End of chapter 14